Quite lower. <coughs> right, let's have a look at that. That looks that looks better. I think that's gonna be okay. Yeah? Yeah. Let's go with okay. it. It's Black Friday, November the twenty fifth, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and deflated Oranje fan, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Manhattan Island Reclaimer. Yeah, so. it's uh, Black Friday uh, today. Yeah, um, yeah. Not so. that uh, we celebrate Thanksgiving in the Netherlands or anything, but uh, Black yeah. Friday seems to be a very long period. Uh, <laughs> increasingly long. Yeah, it's, it's increasingly starts, long. It starts earlier every year, just like yeah, uh, and, it, and it lasts longer every it lasts year. Longer. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah. Black Friday week, and then you have your Cyber Monday nowadays only as well. It carries on into next week. No, Cyber okay, Monday yeah. is when you buy get lots of cheap cheap deals online. Okay, yeah. well, I uh, I haven't fully accepted Black Friday in the Netherlands, so yeah, I'm not so going to accept Cyber it. Monday. Uh, it's, it sounds like something Rian van Rijsbroek would uh, come up with. Probably, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, I am just choosing to ignore this. Yeah, Rian um, van Rijsbroek or Ronald Plastek. But, uh, so, so you <laughs> won't be going out and shopping for a cheap pair of false breasts? Uh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is one of your best uh, job titles you've ever had, yeah. Gordon. Uh, yeah. You have to explain this. It's, one, most, well, it's, it's, it's one of the great stories of the World Cup so far, um, which is that uh, one, one of the uh, a guy called um, Harry Tieten Goudsblom, um, <coughs> who is one of the legendary members of the uh, Orania, the the Orange Army, the the, 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 yeah. the, the fans who go around to, to every single Dutch match, um, they always see on television. And there's a guy with the uh, Native American headdress who's from Emmen, um, and there's a couple of other characters, and there's this guy, uh, Harry the Tits, Kaltzbloom, who always turns up to <laughs> matches in an orange shirt and a pair of false breasts stuffed underneath it. When he went into the stadium in Qatar, um, he was escorted out by 20 police officers who objected, probably not so much to the fake uh, the, the, the fake tits as to the um, uh, the one love armband he was wearing at the time mm. but he claims yeah. that it, he was absolutely fine when he went into the stadium uh, in all this regalia and the security guards were absolutely fine and relaxed about it and it was only when um, the, uh, the, the, the I, I guess when he uh, was actually on television and um, uh, 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 maybe um, people in the government started to notice him that, uh, that, that, that suddenly the, the, the mood soured and he was escorted out of the stadium by a, by a whole full of uh, Qatari security guards. So he says he's now going to contact the Canfe Bay and ask, can mm. I or can I not wear false breasts to a football match? Uh, because yeah. it's a kind of part of his identity. Um, he seems to be the most interviewed man um, <laughs> <laughs> in uh, in all the newspapers and all the news outlets. And yeah. uh, I, I remember... Uh, that he was complaining in one interview that uh, the Qatari officials uh, 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 weren't all aware of the official uh, uh, stance uh, regarding fake breasts uh, yeah. because some of them, uh, yeah, allowed him to uh, to to keep wearing them and uh, others didn't. So uh, he was uh, he was complaining about that. Yeah, you'd um, have thought it was something that FIFA would have ironed out before the tournament, right? I mean, Infantino <laughs> yeah, exactly. should really have sat down with the sheikhs and said, you know, f- f- fake breast, <laughs> yes or no? We have to have a clear line on this. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and he was also part of another OPEF uh, because the, uh, Qatar had invited a group, a number of, of uh, Orange fans to uh, come to Qatar. Uh, uh, they would pay everything for them yeah. as long as they would uh, cheer enthusiastically and um, also do a little bit of PR for the um, oil uh, state. Yeah, um, and also spy on each other as well. So and spy they, on each if, other if as well. If they sent any negative tweets, then they would, yeah. they would shop them to the authorities. Yeah, yeah but uh, I think uh, uh, they, they arrived there for a couple of days and then this whole... Uh, then they announced that they would no longer be paid. <laughs> yeah, it all unraveled, be, uh, didn't they? They said they weren't yeah. getting the money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's um, it's been an eventful uh, World Cup, uh, to say yeah. the least. Yeah. Um, so it's been an eventful we'll World ha- Cup over on the other side of the world. But um, you've been off in completely opposite direction uh, this weekend, <laughs> haven't you, Rob? You've been you've been trying to get as far away from the World Cup as you possibly can. Uh, I haven't really thought about it that way, but I think uh, uh, subconsciously I was uh, I was trying to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. You are referring to my uh, one day trip to the uh, United States. Um, yeah. 
friend of mine works as a uh, what he calls an onboard courier uh, so he uh, brings stuff usually important legal documents or um, uh, parts of uh, uh, machinery or some stuff stuff like that stuff that needs to be um, uh, needs to be uh, escorted basically when it's uh yeah, he yeah. escorts uh, yeah. items that needs to be delivered as yeah. soon as possible to somewhere in the world, and uh, just uh, sending a courier uh, in hand luggage uh, is often the fastest uh, option, and that is what he does. His hobby is flying, so that's mm. uh, it's a great job for him. And he um, had to bring a tumor to uh, the uh, to New York uh, on uh, Sunday. Wow! Uh, and uh, because of his work, he is drowning in miles. So he asked me to uh, come along with him and didn't cost me anything so i said yes of course i'm going to new york i've never been there um and uh, so yeah i spent our day and then we had to (laughs) go back uh, again to the netherlands but uh so so, so it was a real extreme jet you didn't even have time to get jet lagged i guess no that's right no i uh i didn't have any any sort of uh troubles with that uh i did walk 30 kilometers in uh, in manhattan so uh yeah i uh i did spend my time um Efficiently, uh, yeah. uh, you could say. No, it was uh, it was a nice trip. Uh, I, I had never been to New York, so it was uh, very nice to see everything there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I I've never flown so far, um, so it was my longest flight ever, mm-hmm. and uh, I realized that I'm not a fan of flying. <laughs> right. You, you don't enjoy just sitting in a plane for like uh, yeah for, 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 for seven hours. No, okay. even though we had quite uh, one of the best seats uh, apparently in the in the plane, but uh, no, it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, uh, ideal to yeah. say the least. So um, yeah, it uh, but it was fun for once. It was an enjoyable um, trip. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you see? I always like the fact. Did you? I like the fact when you. I think you posted this. You must have posted this. That when you look at the the map of Manhattan, you can actually still see the layout of the original. Um, uh, you know, New Amsterdam as it was at the time, at the south end of the island as well. Did you take that in? So? Yeah, uh, yeah. The, if you if you just take a, a look at the map of New Amsterdam, as yeah. Amsterdam of, as New York was called when it was founded by uh, by the Dutch, um, if you just look at the at the uh, street layout and you just uh, lay it over uh, the the southern tip of Manhattan, then you can st- clearly see uh, the same streets there. And you also have Canal Street and yeah. uh, Broadway is is also a Wall Street, for example, is where the uh, city wall was. Yeah, it's uh, where there was a wall. Uh, yes, and you see on the other side, you see fields and cows yeah. and. Uh, do you think they had um, a stickstuff regulation as well? You know, did they have to move the cows away from the wall to well, reduce no, there, nitrogen deposits? Well, there were no cows. There were, there were beavers there. Oh, okay. um, uh, the Dutch uh, colony was was basically a beaver hunting colony. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you look around closely around New York, then you see all sorts of um, yeah crests with beavers in there. Uh, so that's a uh, a relic from from the Dutch past. And also right. the, uh, the 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 capital of uh, New York State, Albany, uh, was actually called. Uh, uh, Beverwijk initially. Right. Um, it's now uh, the, we also have a Beverwijk yeah. in uh, in the Netherlands. I don't think it has anything to do with actual beavers there, but I'm not entirely sure. Mm. Um, but uh, at least Albany referred to the, the beaver hunt there. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was a nice trip, and um, uh, I have to go back at some point. Of course you do. Yeah, the, it's, it's a bit, for a bit for a bit longer, I would suggest. Yeah, for a bit longer <laughs> than a day, indeed. So you know, yeah. did you get inside any of the buildings? So, uh, I saw you took uh, a few pictures of the buildings on the outside, but. Uh, I uh, I went on top of uh, Thirty Rock, uh, right. Rockefeller Center. Yeah, we hmm. uh, yeah, yeah we didn't have that much time, no. so we didn't plan anything. Uh, just this this uh, we we went on top of uh, Rockefeller Center because I wanted to climb at least one skyscraper. Of course, um, and uh, that is uh, that is the best. Uh, I think that uh, building has the best view uh, of all. So uh, that was why we decided to go there. Right. Okay. Quite expensive, I have to say, forty dollars to go to go up. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Um, yeah, which, which is a lot of euros at the moment. Forty dollars. Uh, forty euros. Uh, exactly. The, yeah. It's uh, one 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 dollar to the to the euro. Something Pretty much. Like that, so. Yeah. 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 Um, but it was worth uh, worth the uh, worth the money. Yeah. Uh, we we went there. Um, uh, at night, so uh, yeah, it was a spectacular sight with all the lights. Uh, yeah, with all the, uh, of the city. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, I did bring my flag. I tried to plant it. Okay. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, on top of, uh, on top of the building center, but I fooled nobody. We right. still, uh, we still do not. Uh, 
own. Uh, you should have uh, taken one of those little uh, like uh, cocktail flags, you know, that you, that you stick in and, <laughs> and, and stuck in a wedge of cheese and just left it there, and no one would have noticed. <laughs> Nobody would have noticed. Yeah, that you have reclaimed uh, the, the island of Manhattan. Yeah, go, go back yeah. in two years and see if it's still there. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so all this talk of uh, culture and heritage uh, brings us, I feel, uh, neatly round to um, uh, to Purmerand, which is where the Opera for the Week is uh, located this week. So, so what is uh, what's been going on there, Paul? Purmerand, yeah, uh, Manhattan in the Beemster, yes. uh, it's nicknamed. <laughs> um, yeah, following the uh, cigar smoking man Opef in Leiden, we have a new art related Opef, but this week, uh, as you said, it comes from uh, picturesque Purmerand. Since November 7th, Utrecht artist Jeroen Hermkens was exhibiting his portrait series called Ode to the Women of the Beemster in the City Hall of Purmerend. Earlier this week, however, Hermkens was notified by the municipality that it was politically decided that his artwork will be removed because visitors had complained about his portraits. Some of them depict proud and nude women of the Middenbeemster, which makes some people feel uneasy, the municipality said. Uh, they told the artist they had received multiple complaints and the decision was made because the city hall, as a public space, should be comfortably uh, accessible for everyone. Permarent proposed to review the selection of the exhibition together with the artist, suggesting that the portraits that don't include nudity were still allowed to hang in the city hall, but uh, Hermkes refused the offer because he wouldn't know where to draw a line, adding that the political correctness has gone too far. It's uh, refreshing to see uh, complaints about political correctness yeah. uh, from, uh, from, from a different yes. <laughs> side of uh, the political spectrum for once. Yeah. Um, Despite Permarent being located in a literal polder, the artist and the municipality failed to reach a compromise, meaning that all paintings will be removed and returned to Hamcron Studio uh, today. So, right. um, yeah, it's uh, it's your last chance to uh, to look at the proud women of the Beemster if you yeah. happen to cross uh, Permarent. Uh, but uh, yeah, I would advise to just uh, speed along and mm. uh, go wherever you are going. Because, it's it's uh, not worth going to Permarent even for even for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But perhaps they could replace them with like um, uh, portraits of Dutch football fans uh, in, in, in shirts with false breasts you know that, that could be a compromise yeah that would be excellent yeah, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> 18 portraits of, yeah. of, of the Tita yeah <laughs> <laughs> different poses yeah, yeah. Uh. yeah. but it's quite bizarre that so yeah they were sort of sort of twitchy about uh, um, yeah um, yeah uh, artworks with uh, uh, with breasts in them when you know this has kind of been a thing that's you've had in art art for you know about 500 years now and if you go to the Rijks Museum it's full of pictures of bare breasts so I was thinking yeah, this, yeah. These, uh, these people that were complaining they shouldn't visit the Vatican because no. they would uh, <laughs> would fall Their into an utter out. shock yeah, yeah. <laughs> This week, the asylum issue flares up again, the right to protest comes under attack in the Bible Belt, the economy continues to slide towards the abyss, the government gets ready to shell out even more money to compensate farmers, and the Dutch Football Association gets into a terrible tangle over rainbow armbands. But if you survive all that, we've got a nice fluffy news story for you from the wild lands of Kastrigum. <laughs> Police believe a fire at a farm that was due to accommodate asylum seekers from next week was started deliberately. Around 450 people were supposed to arrive at the campsite farm in Sommeren, just outside Eindhoven, next Monday. But the blaze that broke out in the early hours of Thursday morning damaged the main barn, where the refugees were going to be housed, and caused extensive smoke damage to neighbouring rooms. Firefighters who examined the scene said there were enough indications for them to suspect it was an arson attack, and police are also investigating. The mayor of Sommerun, Dilia Block, has said it's not clear where the asylum seekers will now go, although she's since said uh, that, there is, that they can still accommodate them in the barn. It's not so badly damaged uh, that it can't be used. Uh, the, the mayor condemned the attack and said it was terrible for the farm's owners. Fortunately, there were no people in the building and nobody was injured. The fire was quickly brought under control, she said. Yeah, and uh, not everybody in the community was happy with this plan, uh, weren't they? No, as ever, there was uh, a lot of controversy and discussion in the uh, local community. There had been a community meeting recently, and uh, Sommeren is a small town of around 20,000 people near the border with Limburg, um, and the council said the accommodation was just for two months uh, to get people through the hardest winter months, and most of the people who were there were going to be families or people who had a good chance of uh, eventually getting refugee status. These are all people who were the part of the big overspill 
bill from to Apple Refugee Accommodation Reception Center in Groningen. Um, and they spent the last four months basically being bussed around sports halls in southeast Brabant. Um, they've moved on average every three weeks. So the idea was to give them a little bit more stability than they've had since, since they arrived in the country. But there was a vocal group within the community uh, who were against the plan. Um, they, uh, they staged protests. They mocked the mayor at a bad-tempered recent community meeting. Vendi uh, Strauch of the residence group Bürger Initiative Sommeren condemned the arson attack, but then she also said, people take matters into their own hands if they don't feel heard. In all honesty, I'm not surprised this has happened. Okay, uh, I'm badly failed. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's a good, good uh, yeah. condemnation of good uh, complete of this uh, absence of empathy in that statement. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Um, so this is all part of the uh, so-called asylum seeker crisis, mm. um, and um, it seems that we have found an answer to this. Uh, crisis haven't we uh certainly yeah within the cabinet anyway um because uh, delegates of the fefe days weekend conference uh, last weekend backed the asylum minister erich van der burg's plan to distribute asylum seekers around the country and they backed it by 77 percent. so it's a pretty yeah. strong endorsement for a measure that had uh, you know caused a lot of discussion in the fefe day party and also in the media as to whether you know, the, the party would actually support the plan at all um yeah, so yeah there was uh, there was a yeah, we just mentioned a loud vocal group. There was yeah. also a loud vocal group within the VVD party called Classique Liberal. And yes. they uh, had been all over the news, uh, all over the media, um, suggesting that the uh, entire VVD party was also against this uh, this uh, asylum seeker uh, plan yeah. by, uh, by the party's own uh, minister. Uh, but that uh, seems to be uh, not the case. Seems to be overstated, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, they ran a very slick PR campaign and sent out lots of tweets saying, yeah, that they were, uh, that, yeah, that, that, that they would resist the plan, and what they were against was the fact that uh, Van der Berg, um, uh, if this plan goes through, which it looks like it will, he will be allowed to override local councils, basically. So if a local, ca- if he can't negotiate uh, an accommodation centre in in a particular municipality, he can then simply find one and tell them to tell them to accommodate them there. And uh, that that didn't go down well with Classic Liberal because they say we're free market liberals and we think local government should be allowed to do as it pleases. Uh, so yeah, uh, Van der Berg has been blocked at just about every turn when he's tried to find alternative facilities to to Apple, um, because nearly every village in the Netherlands seems to have a pocket of uh, very loud racists with banners. Um, and he's also caused under pressure from a court judgment, um, a case that was brought by Flüchtlingewerk, uh, where he's been told he has to improve the quality of accommodation for asylum seekers immediately. So yeah, he, he tried to put this bill through in October, um, which would give him the, the power to override local councils. Um, uh, and that's to cope with an expected 50,000 asylum seekers arriving next year, which, of course, doesn't include Ukrainians, who apparently nobody's got a problem with. Um, but uh, yeah, and it also um, created a lot of tensions within the cabinet because uh, two of the parties in government, Deze and Zestig, and the Christian Uni, um, d- didn't want um, uh, d- 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 objected to the fact that the Fefe Day wanted to tie um, this plan to cutting the numbers of asylum seekers. They said we should have a more humane asylum policy. Uh, but yeah, uh, even though um, yeah, we uh, uh, as we are recording this podcast, uh, n- news broke that the Christian Uni is less reluctant. Uh, regarding this and they um, are open to the suggestion that uh, less asylum seekers will be accepted in the Netherlands as long as that also includes um, so-called uh, migrant workers uh, that which is uh, uh, yeah the largest part of a largest share of the of the uh, immigration in the Netherlands um, so they want they also want a, a cap or, or, or a reduction of this group of migrants and not only the asylum seekers um, uh, uh, w- w- which is mostly uh, the group of people the VVD is focusing on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is kind of mad at a time when, as we'll talk about later on, we actually don't have enough people to fill all the vacancies we have, and yet we're also trying to block migrant workers at the border who might uh, be able to do some of these jobs and ease the pressure in the labour market. But there we are. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, yes, yeah, so, so now it looks as if uh, Van der Burst law will uh, will uh, go through and take effect from the first of January. But um, it still yeah leaves all kinds of uh, questions open, particularly about security. If uh, you know we have places where that have been earmarked for asylum seekers to live um, going up in flames. Yes, and uh, that wasn't the only uh, direct action we saw this week. No, because unfortunately we got to talk about uh, Svartopit again. Um, 
because yeah. on uh, last Saturday there was a demonstration in Stapwurst uh, in the Bible Belt uh, by the Kickouts for Pete group. They didn't like the fact that in Stapwurst they had a Sinterklaas procession with lots of uh, blackface Vatapetes. Um, the demonstration was cancelled at short notice by the town's mayor because he couldn't guarantee the security of the protesters. Uh, and when they did arrive, and they were also joined by observers from Amnesty International, uh, the blackface Vatapetes uh, pelted their cars with eggs, they let off fireworks. Police said they tried to intervene, but um, the riot police were actually their way was blocked by tractors it's always tractors isn't it the way it's blocked by tractors <laughs> and uh, they also threw down tacks in the road apparently to stop the vehicles uh, getting hmm. uh, getting near them so basically there was kind of an organised mob on standby to kind of greet the anti uh demonstrators with fireworks and, and violence and Amnesty have now accused the council and the police of failing to protect the right to protest the town council has launched an investigation into the incident so has, so has the public prosecutor's office and the police have said they'll also carry out a what they call a critical review of their preparations for the demonstration and what happened on the day. Um, it also led to a heated exchange in Parliament between the Justice Minister, Dilania Silgers, and Silvana Simons of Bayain, who rebuked Silgers for talking about counter-demonstrators uh, rather than what she, uh, the word she preferred, which was terrorists. Yeah, it's, it seemed... Um, I'm, <laughs> Yeah, I, I was in uh, in New York. I wasn't. I was in New York. I wasn't paying close you, attention the right to the yeah, developments there. You weren't in Stoppost. Yeah, you made the right uh, choice. I wasn't in Stoppost, yeah. but when I saw the the, the 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 photos and the and the videos coming from Stoppost uh, the next day, it 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 looked more like terrorists than counter demonstrators, uh, to say the least. It was also pretty worrying that um, you, you saw in this video footage uh, police officers, um, yeah, uh, being present there and not intervening. Um, uh, 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 in these actions of these uh, yeah, counter-demonstrators, as uh, Dilanya Silkus called them. Mm. Um, so that is also worrying, and I'm, uh, the police has already said they're going to investigate, but um, which is a good thing, of course. But um, yeah, it was worrying that uh, they weren't stepping in and uh, preventing these uh, groups of people from attacking uh, these demonstrators. Yeah, yeah. And you'd, you'd, you'd have to, we'll have to see what, uh, if anything, happens uh, now in terms of whether uh, whether people are identified and prosecuted, uh, particularly yeah. of, as they're in blackface makeup. Um, yeah, yeah. Easy would be and to identify them, but. And, and my impression was that the Swart Beat discussion, um, as we've been calling it for a decade now, mm. um, yeah, had been ended basically, in that we had concluded that Swarte Piet uh, is a figure that uh, uh, is is probably not the best uh, the best idea. Uh, but yeah, apparently um, it's still um, uh, f- f- in some in some places in the Netherlands it's still a very heated topic and. Yeah. Uh, it can lead to these sort of uh, outbursts of uh, yeah violence. Yeah, I think the discussion as a whole is dying down. I think it has settled into a sit, um, the position that uh, people understand. People realize now that uh, you know, the 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 full blackface and kind of caricatures of black people just you know aren't acceptable in this day and age. And Sartre has to change. And it's kind of a lot of it has been more I think driven by the commercial sector than by the political discussion which has often been catching up I found every every year when you go into your local supermarket the the, the, the dolls are slightly less black and you start to see sooty faces instead of uh, uh, proper black gollywog dolls as we used to call them in, in, in Britain so uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely been a shift but there is still kind of what we see I think here now is kind of the dregs of discussion kind of the last uh, the, 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 the last holdouts and it's interesting that Stuphorst is one of them because of course Stuphorst being in the Bible Belt didn't used to celebrate uh, Sinterklaas at all because of course I thought so as well the yeah. Sinterklaas is a Catholic saint and the Bible yeah. Belt is Orthodox hardline Protestant you know uh, Calvinist even so it's uh, and then all of a sudden they've now decided that they are the last um, the last bastion <laughs> of uh, support for, for, for blackface terror makeup so yeah, so yeah. In, in a move that surprised absolutely nobody it turns out that sectarianism is quite closely related to, to racism <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it, it it does surprise me. It's a move that does surprise me because uh, they they rather adopt a uh, Roman Catholic saint yeah. than uh, <laughs> than um, yeah um, uh, speaking out against racism, yeah. which uh, yeah uh, uh, suggests how how deep rooted this this racism actually is in yeah. these. In this particular community, yeah, yeah it's so, an amazing um, bit of a mental gymnastics, that isn't it? It really is, yeah. 
It's much like uh, Thierry Baudet, who embraces uh, Islam rather than yeah. uh, conforming to, uh, to to the mainstream liberal ideas of uh, of, of our society. Yeah. It'd be uh, like as if Thierry got... Baudet had once upon a time been uh, in favor of really hard lockdowns and giving face masks to everybody. <laughs> oh, no, wait a minute, he was. <laughs> yeah, mental gymnastics all over the place. Yeah. On Tuesday, the cabinet's plans on how to deal with the so-called peak nitrogen polluters have naturally been leaked to the press. Starting from April, the cabinet will make the so-called peak polluters an offer they cannot refuse. Several thousand farmers operating nearby environmentally sensitive areas will be offered 120% of the value of their farms to shut down. Uh, that's uh, what sources uh, from the cabinet told broadcaster NOS on Tuesday. Uh, farmers who do not cooperate with the buyout scheme will face tougher environmental demands uh, from then on, uh, which could lead to a forced closure in a less friendly and less lucrative way. Uh, details are yet to be announced, uh, but it is expected that in new plan, farms and factories which exceed nitrogen limits will have to pay a levy over their emissions, much like the current system dealing with CO2 emissions. The government needs to reduce nitrogen emissions to comply with EU regulations to protect conservation zones known as Natura 2000 areas. A Council of State ruling in 2019 said the government wasn't doing enough and scrapped its entire nitrogen permit system, which brought the building industry to a standstill and led to massive protest by farmers, uh, which we uh, summarize as the uh, stickstofcrisis. Or the nitrogen crisis. Nitrogen Ayatollah Jon Rumkes advised the government uh, last October that the 500 to 600 largest polluters should be bought out within a year to meet EU targets. Uh, the details about the stop bonus, as it's already been dubbed, will be released today um, when the government is publishing them. Uh, but the government hopes uh, it will encourage at least 2,000 to 3,000 livestock farmers to stop voluntarily. Right. So how has the, uh, the sector and the um, environmental activists uh, uh, reacted to this? I would say that the reactions from both groups of, uh, of organizations are mildly positive, as much like uh, when Jon Remkes came with his advice. Uh, farmers are happy with uh, what Nitrogen Minister van der Waal promised to be the wildly uh, attractive carrot, uh, but they are still reluctant to accept uh, the stick. Um, farming lobby group uh, LTO called the buyout scheme an attractive offer, and the more militant farmers group uh, Agraxi said the voluntary component of the system is a good thing, uh, but they added that uh, they will not accept the stricter, stricter regulations. Uh, Mobilization for the Environment, uh, that's the group that brought the case to, uh, to the court in the first place, welcomed the plan, saying that it will lead to a major reduction in nitrogen-based pollution, but uh, yeah, not without underlying that the plan comes uh, three years too late in their opinion. Um, then we have uh, Baby Bay MP Caroline van der Plas. She said that the buyout scheme looks uh, voluntary, but the prospect of more regulations doesn't really leave farmers with a free choice, uh, she said. So yeah, it's not... It's not really really a free uh, free option. Yeah. Um, there will be no cap on the buyout scheme, despite growing concerns about the government's financial situation, mm. uh, which we've also seen this week, uh, because we have so many funds and so yeah. the government is throwing so much money uh, in compensation debt. Um, yeah, and with the growing interest rates, as we will uh, hear later, I think uh, in the next uh, next segment, yeah. um, that leads to some worrying about the financial situation of um, of the government. Uh, but despite that, there will be no cap and. And the cabinet seems to think that the more nitrogen space will be freed up, the better. And the government has yet to decide what the stricter environmental requirements for peak loaders will look like. Or it could be that that is uh, disclosed uh, today as well. Um, of course, right after we have uh, finished recording. So yes, uh, yeah, if you want to know yeah. more details, go to dutchnews.nl and yeah. Uh, yeah, you can read it there. Yeah. So if uh, the farmers are uh, vol- volunteering or being forced to sell up their farms, uh, who's buying? Who's going to benefit from this freed up nitrogen space? Um, yeah, it's probably the government itself uh, because they have reserved the right of first purchase uh, as part of the plan. Uh, so if a farmer or another nitrogen emitter uh, stops uh, and puts its permit up for sale, the cabinet wants their government to be the first to be given the opportunity to buy the freed up nitrogen space, as it's called in uh, in, uh, in uh, public servant jargon, right? Uh, nitrogen space. Um, government agencies uh, such as Rijkswaterstaat will also fall under 
the parties that can be the first to buy such emission rights. Um, probably because yeah, some um, um, uh, desperately needed infrastructural um, uh, uh, building projects uh, are currently put on hold because of uh, because of the nitrogen crisis. Uh, but you can also think of, uh, for example, uh, strengthening or reinforcing dikes, uh, which also needs this permit uh, and uh, yeah, and some sensitive areas which are typically or uh, uh, in a large part located near near the sea near the coast uh, that means that these projects um, do have um, uh, problems uh, uh, um, um, with uh, yeah being developed because yeah, um, they have to also comply to the nitrogen rules um, only if the government isn't interested other commercial parties uh, such as uh, Schiphol airport or project developers uh, may make an offer uh, peak loaders can also opt for relocation uh, but movers uh, as well as innovators are not entitled to the 20% stoppers bonus. Yeah, because there was a worry that these permits might end up just getting passed around and particularly like Schiphol just picking up a load of extra permits so they can expand when the idea is that Schiphol should be trying to uh, reduce its uh, its number of flights and its capacity, right? So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah and that would compromise, um, f- for example, building projects or uh, yeah, we also have a housing crisis, of course, if we yeah. need to, <laughs> houses to be built. Yeah. That also requires uh, nitrogen permits and yeah, if you have these uh, large parties that are buying up all these permits and all these uh, nitrogen space, then that could lead to problems uh, um, in that field as well. So I think the government is also trying to uh, prevent that from happening. But yeah, it's also, um, yeah, they, they also probably prefer to to have uh, 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 yeah, the controls in hand, I guess, uh, yeah. regarding these, uh, these permits. Yeah. yeah, true. And they also had to make sure that they didn't uh, fall foul of European Union rules on state aid, right? Right. So, um, the, 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 because if they, I think that's one reason that movers aren't entitled to the bonus because what they couldn't allow, what the EU would, would object to, was if a, a farmer got a whole load of government money to stop, but then just move to another European country with all that, with that massive government subsidy, effectively, and set up a farm in competition to other European farmers. So they had to sort of find a way to make sure that it didn't, you know, conflict with state aid rules. It's a balancing act. It's a huge and, balancing uh, act, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure the European Commission also has uh, something to say about uh, <laughs> uh, all the money that's been spent here um, uh, on farmers and on um, um, and on other things as well. We've also seen that, for example, on the um, energy compensation scheme, um, um, uh, the, the European uh, Union is also complaining about that. They also regard it more or less as uh, state aid rather than um, yeah um, uh, compensation for. Um, just consumers so um, yeah uh, this is definitely not the end of it but at least uh, you could say that um, uh, uh, the, the the groups of people that are directly involved in it are mildly positive they have I think the consensus here is that everyone has accepted that, that something needs to be done um, of course it has to be done in such a way that the people who will um, uh, suffer the most will be compensated and uh, I, I think everyone uh, finds this 20% bonus on top of the market value um, uh, more or less acceptable it also um, I also think uh, should it have been really three years before co- before mm. we could have come up with this scheme because it seems to, to me like more or less an open door um, but yeah, it, at least um, 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 at least there is uh, more or less consensus about it right now. It might have been not the case when it was presented three years ago. So um, that is at least a positive uh, development, I think. Yeah, it is. It, it, it does feel like the, the the kind of mood of protest has uh, softened a lot since it was a year ago. I think uh, yeah, for the Farmers Defence Force for a long time were just simply resisting everything and saying we want to delay the um, uh, the whole nitrogen plan or throw it out. So maybe now we finally got. To to a point where, for whatever reason, FDF aren't quite as influential in the debate, and they can actually sit down and have a proper discussion about, uh, 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 yeah, about how exactly the farmers should be compensated. So. Yeah, it does. We still have uh, a political party that was uh, founded in direct uh, response of uh, this nitrogen ruling by the Council of State, the uh, farm, uh, the Boerburgerbeweging uh, Triple B, mm. uh, as Hugo de Jonge <laughs> uh, famously called it. Yeah. The current polls uh, suggest that they will be uh, having an enormous win in the in the in the next election in the provincial uh, uh, council elections. Um, 
um, yeah, they are traditionally opposed to everything that is related yeah. to stickstuff. Um, as I said, Caroline van der Plas was mildly positive about about it, but she wasn't in a celebratory mood or anything. So yeah. it might be possible that after we had this election and Baby Bay had this major win in um, the provinces and as a consequence also in the Senate, because uh, it's, it's, of course, an indirect re- election. Yeah. Um, yeah, it might be that um, uh, things will change uh, dramatically yeah, uh, again. Yeah, because they could potentially be the third or fourth largest party in the Senate if you look at the current yeah. polls. So, yeah, uh, and that's coming around. Those elections are coming around in March. So that will be yeah. interesting. Indeed. Sure enough, the European Commission has had a very keen eye on Dutch government spending uh, this week. Uh, the bad news just keeps on coming. The OECD as well has downgraded its forecast for the Netherlands. It now expects GDP growth to be just 0.8% next year, before creeping back up to 1.1% in 2024. That will include a brief recession between now and the spring. Um, the European Commission itself is less optimistic about 2023, when it forecasts growth of just 0.6%, but more positive about 2024, uh, when it thinks it will rebound to 1.3%, um, but still pretty sluggish. Uh, and inflation uh, is set to remain in double figures uh, right up to the end of the year at around 15%, before dropping down to 3.9% next year. And the Commission has also, this week, invited the Dutch Treasury to kind of redo its homework, basically have another go at the budget, because it thinks the, the forecasts that were in September's budget um, uh, were wildly optimistic. Uh, back then, Finance Minister Wopke Hoekstra, sorry, sorry, Sigrid Kaag, said uh, GDP would grow between by 1.5% next year, and inflation would come down to around 3%. Kaag has warned that interest payments alone could add 9 billion euros to government spending next year, and uh, as a result, there's very little room for any more support packages for people and businesses who are struggling with their energy bills. Uh, One crumb of comfort is that the energy price cap uh, is now predicted to cost only 11.2 billion euros instead of 20 billion now that wholesale gas prices have come down by around 65% since August. An absolute bargain. Yeah, Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. and you were referring to the fact, of course, that Wopke Hoekstra, who is now foreign minister, yeah. and uh, Sigrid Kaag, who is now finance minister, swapped ministries uh, uh, in the latest cabinet, and they seem to forget all the time yeah. that uh, they you, you had. See, you see Hoekstra constantly commenting on the economy, and Sigrid Kaag constantly talking about foreign affairs. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's like yeah. the PR teams forgot to switch or something, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and also we had um, 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 uh, an, 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 another call from Brussels uh, complaining about the Dutch spending because NATO uh, was uh, very critical about uh, the Dutch defense uh, spending. Yeah. They, uh, they are complaining that we um, aren't uh, spending on stuff that NATO wants from us. Uh, for example, uh, we, we are missing uh, tanks. We currently... The the Netherlands doesn't have a say, single tank. I, was, yes, right I, was, I wasn't aware we had any tanks, and sure enough, we don't. Yeah, we don't. No, yeah. we we share them with with Germany, yeah. and that's what uh, the defense ministry says. Uh, uh, NATO doesn't take into account, or doesn't have a way to take into account uh, shared uh, material. Um, yeah. Um, um, Did, but when we say we share the tanks with Germany, do we have like a sort of a brown veals deal or something like? You know, <laughs> so, you know do, do we get them on the weekends? What's, uh, what's uh, well, how does that work exactly? <laughs> Shared ownership. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think we, we, we own half of the parts and uh, yeah. the Germans uh, own, uh, own the other half. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, at least we don't share with the Belgians. That would be terrible. Uh... <laughs> yeah, we also share a lot of stuff with the Belgians. Do, so, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what uh, what the Defense Ministry says. Uh, um, NATO doesn't have a, um, uh, d- doesn't have a way to, uh, to take into account the, the unique Dutch way of, uh, of, of, uh, of defense spending. Yeah. Um, but that's a different story. Um, we have to go to pensioners because i see i have a question about that you do in a script yeah uh, so tell us all about pensioners please <laughs> yeah well see, it is good news for pensioners because one the effect uh, one positive effect of rising interest rates is that the pension funds have kind of restocked and they're able yeah. to pay out some more um after I, years saw, of- I saw an nos push message uh, which surprised me uh, very much. Right. Um, it said that uh, how, how many percentage are they going to increase the uh, the the pensions? 
Yeah, this, well, the construction sector uh, are going to get an extra 14.5% um, wow. on their company pensions from January the 1st. Uh, that's on the back of a 2.5% rise this year. Uh, so yeah, if um, yeah, so so if you if your if your dad or your granddad used to work in the construction sector, then uh, yeah, um, uh, you, you have to make sure you get a good Christmas present this year, or, or <laughs> next year. Um, the yeah, engineering yeah, the, and um, the the Christmas that I saw was about the largest pension funds in the Netherlands, ABP, yeah. which is I think the pension funds for public servants, and uh, yeah. they are going to increase uh, their pensions with twelve percent. Yeah. So yeah, you're better off as a construction worker than uh, than a uh, than a BOA. Yeah, and the healthcare funds have also put their payments up by six percent. Um, but um, bear in mind that I mean headline inflation right now is nearly seventeen percent, although there's a bit of yeah. a dispute about how it's that's calculated by the ABS. So in real terms, that's still a reduction. You know, you're still actually getting less money effectively. Um, yeah. And uh, Elina Lundgren, the chair of the BF, uh, BPF Bau Pension Fund, which has got 800,000 members, said the increase was needed to offset the difficult situations created by high inflation. Uh, also, the mm-hmm. AOV, the state pension, is going up by 10% from January as well. So, yeah. So um, it it all sounds like a, a a lot of extra money, but yeah, if you compare it to the inflation, then um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, yeah, you're still going. Uh, yeah, if you measure against actual prices, you're not really gaining very much. You're just treading water, no. effectively. Yeah. Um, and speaking of things that have fallen down, uh, mm. housing prices, uh, they are also incre- decreasing. They're right? decreasing. Yeah, yeah. pensioners will soon be able to buy houses, uh, which would be useful for them. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, clear signs now really that the housing market is slowing down and the kind of boom that we got in the last decade and particularly which sort of accelerated during the pandemic uh, is, is, is over. Basically, the average house price fell by half a percentage point between September and October, and that's the third month-on-month decline. The yearly increase is down to 7.8%. Um, still pretty high really but uh, that's the lowest rate since early 2020 house prices um were rising by more than 20 percent at the start of the year uh, they peaked in july according to the cbs figures at that point they were nearly 90 percent up on 2015 values and they've been coming down steadily ever since and that's gone hand in hand with the decline in transactions in the first 10 months of the year 17 percent fewer homes changed hands compared to last year so, so yeah so there's sort of a falling demand and falling prices which is sort of the worst of the, that that's usually the um the conditions for a uh, for a longer term decline in the market if you've got some spare change left over after picking up some cheap paintings in Purmerend, maybe you'd like to give a euro <laughs> or two to support the dutch news podcast We really do rely on your support to keep producing these podcasts and making Dutch news hopefully a little more palatable, and in return we'll shower you in gratitude, give you a shout-out, and let you ask us a question. Uh, This week we welcome one new patron, Andreas Karampekios from Greece. I know how football commentators feel now. Um, Well, at least you haven't been commentating on on the South Korean match uh, (laughs) yesterday, because that, that was really... Really a challenge, I think. Yeah, apologies, Andreas. I'm sure I've mangled your name, but we are very grateful to you for your, yes, your, your contribution really to the podcast. So uh, please keep listening. Um, and he's got a, a, yeah, quite a kind of wide-ranging question for us. Um, he says, uh, do you believe the current government will manage to solve any of the big issues happening in the country in the remainder of its term, like the housing crisis, immigration and emissions reduction? Yeah, we were discussing this question yesterday in the group chat and Robin said, yeah, you should just laugh hysterically and move <laughs> on to the next segment. Yeah. But yeah, since you are actually paying us, yes. we will we will pay a little bit more attention to this question. Um, yeah, as you said, the current government, the current cabinet is dealing with a large number of, of crises that all seem to be interconnected as well, making it uh, ever more complicated. Um, I don't think they will solve it in that term. Uh, I do think they are on the right track in some uh, crisis in actually solving them. Uh, we just talked about the nitrogen crisis that seems to be um, easing a little bit. There is a consensus reached more or less. Uh, also the asylum seeker crisis, well, there is still a lot of debate about that, but um, there seem to be for example, with this new law, uh, um, uh, new asylum seeker centers will be opened and that will uh, solve these problems, uh, hopefully in the near future as well. Also, the housing crisis, well, the market is just cooling down, but also um, with these nitrogen 
space. Mm. Uh, more houses can be built. Uh, of course, that, that takes a lot of time to actually build them. Um, so I do think that the cabinet is in a, a, a lot of these crises on the right track. But yeah, they will definitely not be solved within their terms because I think we have new elections in 2024. Uh, is, is it 2024 2025? No, 25. 25. Yeah. yeah, the next election has been 2025. Yeah, so we have uh, just over two years. No, so, so yeah, I think the short answer is no. They won't fix all of these crises uh, in the remainder of the term. I mean, all of these crises are, are linked as well. So the housing crisis is kind of linked to the migration crisis because we have a lot of um, asylum seekers coming into the country and uh, they're being held up because the asylum seekers reception centres are full of people, status holders who should be moving on into accommodation, but there's no space for them so we need to find housing for them but also we just need to find housing about Hugo de Jong has a target of building 900,000 houses new homes um, so yeah it's a colossal challenge and I don't think there's that they're actually going to get to sort it all out in the next two years they just don't have the time but they, yeah they, they seem to sort of got the framework now for yeah. uh, for, for a solution I think what, what, what we've seen in the last two years is basically just a bottleneck on a lot of these issues you know because the farmers have not been able to agree with the government on how to solve the nitrogen problem it just hasn't moved for two years and now I think we're starting to see those the, those bottlenecks start to ease a little but there's still this enormous backlog and of course the big question the big problem is you know now that interest rates have gone up and we're, we're heading into a recession and borrowing money or spending money just gets more expensive uh, will the government actually be able to afford all of these plans or will it have to start to cut cut into its its budgets and, and cut back on them or find budget savings elsewhere which will themselves be controversial remember the first winter cabinet fell because it couldn't agree a budget savings plan during a recession so yeah there's still a lot of uncertainties yeah, uh, as you, yeah, indeed, as you said. But there is at least some movement. Uh, we also don't know yet uh, what kind of unforeseen problems the solutions that are presented right now will cause exactly, as well, yeah. like the second order effects. Lots of things uh, to discuss and debate about. And also, um, it's also a matter of just wait and see uh, in some cases. But um, at least with some movement. But no, they will. They simply do not have enough time no. left uh, to, to solve everything. Yeah. So we hope that's... Yeah, sort of uh, made things clearer for you, Andreas. Uh, not sure it's made it any clearer for us, but um, anyway, <laughs> that, that, that was uh, uh, the answer to your question. If you'd like to become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast, log on to www.patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Dutch News NL. Yeah, and uh, just as we are recording, because uh, yeah, it seems to be uh, always the case that there is news coming up uh, when we are recording or just after we have recorded, but uh, this breaking news came as we were recording. Um, um, the Dutch uh, government will officially apologize for uh, slavery, uh, NOS reported. They will do that on uh, December 19th uh, in seven places uh, around the world, uh, as well as in uh, the Netherlands. That the cabinet was planning to formally apologize for slavery uh, was already in uh, the making. Next year, it is the 150th anniversary that uh, slavery was officially abolished in the Netherlands. Prime Minister Mark Rutte was uh, visiting Suriname, that's his former Dutch colony, in September. And uh, there he said that uh, 2023 should be dedicated to uh, uh, yeah, remembering uh, the Dutch involvement in uh, slavery. Yeah, and they're going to do it in eight locations around the world. So, so, so seven of the former colonies, including I see uh, Frank Vierwind, the uh, uh, Minister for Legal Protection, um, is going to go to Suriname. I think Frank Vierwind has Surinamese roots as well, he? so that kind of makes sense. And then, uh, yes, yeah, so various other ministers will go to Aruba, they'll go to yep. Bonaire, the Caribbean Islands, uh, Sinti Stasius as well. So literally every corner of the of the kingdom, effectively, um, to formally deliver these apologies. So yeah, that's a very good thing. They're directly presenting these apologies to those corners of the kingdom, the former empire, where you know, that, that, that suffered most from, from slavery, that were most directly affected. Um, and there's also going to be a fund of 200 million euros uh, for projects to uh, improve awareness of uh, slavery, of course, because that's uh, another um, aspect of it that, uh, you know, that will need uh, constant work to make people aware of exactly how slavery operated. You often hear people say that it was all a long time yeah. ago or it was just a marginal part of the economy. It didn't really matter very much, but actually it was kind of quite integral to the, the, the growth and the wealth of uh, the Netherlands during what is sometimes called uh, the Golden Age. Yeah, and uh, the 
cabinet's uh, apology f uh, is coming uh, after uh, yeah. other Dutch uh, cities uh, already apologized for their involvement in slavery. Yeah. Amsterdam, Rotterdam, uh, but also Middelburg, for example, um, all have uh, already apologized for that, uh, as well as the Dutch Central Bank, uh, the Nederlandse Bank. Uh, they did that in uh, July last year. On July 1st, which is um, the official holiday which celebrates the abolition of, uh, of slavery and now the cabinet follows as well in the year or in the period uh, before the 150th anniversary of the abolition yes and, and the hague was the last of the major cities to apologize for slavery that was just uh, mm. a week ago the, the mayor jan van zanen apologized because of the hague is a city of course where well a lot of people living in the city are are, are descended from their families came from places uh, that, that were, where people were enslaved um so it's one of the more diverse cities but one of the last to apologize partly because the hague didn't um, have much actual direct slave trading but of course it was a seat of government yeah. so the whole infrastructure was created in the hague You know, so that was what actually enabled it. Yeah. And that brings us all around to the World Cup in Qatar, where the Netherlands are kicking off their second group match on Friday evening against Ecuador. They are now favourites to go through from Group A after winning a pretty drab defensive opening game against Senegal 2-0. Louis van Gaal is expected to retain Andries Noppert in goal after the Heerenveen stopper had a very solid game. Memphis Depay still isn't fit enough to play a full match, Van Gaal said, and there's speculation Jurian Timber could replace Matthijs de Ligt at left back. Speaking of Noppert, um, he's kind of been the, the, <laughs> the, the, the focus of attention in the Dutch squad after he was surprisingly called up, despite having only, uh, he's only ever played 51 professional matches in his career. Um, he's <laughs> 28 years old. So the media have been scrambling around for kind of amusing anecdotes about him. Uh, NOS spoke to Italian goalkeeping coach Nicola Di Bitonto, who was his mentor at Foggia. He played at Foggia in the second division of Italian football uh, for, for a couple of years. He said his main memories of Noppert were that uh, he was very tall. He's two metres three or six foot eight in imperial measurements. Uh, his nickname was Il Grattacello, uh, which is Italian for no idea <laughs> the skyscraper <laughs> so oh really yes yes uh, and he smoked nice. like a chimney apparently um uh -huh. so uh, i guess he's uh, i don't think louis van Gaal would tolerate smoking in his squad and also he fulfilled the stereotype that goalkeepers are always a bit um uh, a little bit crazy um uh -huh. as people say um uh, not but he's, he's the tallest player at the world cup um and he's i was trying to go back through the records i think he might be the tallest player ever to play in the world cup i went back as far uh -huh. as 1998 and i couldn't find anyone anyone else above two meters two so uh -huh. um, is yeah. he taller than uh from the star He is taller than Van der Sar, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, can't, okay. I think Van der Sar is about 197 or something. I'm saying that off the top of my head, but yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and so I wasn't watching the, the football match against uh, Senegal, um, but uh, I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw that you know, there was almost a sort of hysterically pessimistic mood on Twitter. Um, yeah. And <laughs> when I refreshed my timeline, all of a sudden the mood has switched to a, a hysterically optimistic yeah. mood. Yeah. Uh, It's amazing how two goals in the last 10 minutes can completely change your perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was uh, fascinating to see. But the football's uh, yeah, really a sideshow uh, this year because yeah. uh, what's going on about uh, the rainbow armbands, Ophef? Yeah, constant just rolling Ophef about the rainbow armbands. So originally seven European nations said they were going to defy FIFA and their captains would wear the one-love armband even if it meant they got a fine. But then FIFA said that this week uh, any player who wore the armband onto the pitch would get a yellow card at the start of the game. Mm. And apparently that was too much to bear. So the Cannes Fébé immediately then uh, sort of backtracked, basically. They um, recoiled. Um, they then talked about taking the case to the court for arbitration in sport in Lausanne, but then they decided they weren't going to do that either. No, because I don't think uh, I don't think in Lausanne you will get a, a, a fair trial. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, unlikely. So yeah, it's, it's, it's all been a mess basically, and now they're just muttering that they will consider their legal position. So probably nothing will happen. Um, so yeah, the, the seven countries did back down, but then Germany did still sort of take a stand before their match against Japan because they they sort of courageously put their fingers to their lips before kickoff mm -hmm. but then they were criticized yeah. for that because they went they went and lost the game 2-1 and everyone speculated that they were distracted by doing this protest before the match which apparently meant that the defenders could no longer see the ball when the J 
companies are passing it into their net or something. I don't know. I found that a very bizarre argument. Um, uh, and a bit patronising as well as Japan as well, who played very well against Germany. But anyway. But Van Gaal said, yes, perhaps that was the case. But uh, Germany clearly suffered a lack of team discipline, which is uh, yeah, not what you expect of the Germans. Uh, I'm frank enough, said Van Gaal modestly, to say that our team discipline lasts right up to the 90th minute. So classic Van Gaal, he manages to turn a criticism of someone else into a compliment about himself. <laughs> <laughs> That's he is a, he's a master in these kind of things, right? He really yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> he really is. Uh, and he also said that so there will be no more political statements. They had a training session with the migrant workers, and that was it. From now on, they could just go to concentrate on uh, trying to win football matches, mm. which they uh, are making a decent fist off because uh, Senegal was their most difficult opponent in the group and now they're playing Ecuador and their last match against Qatar who are just hopeless so it looks pretty nailed on that they'll get through to the second round yeah the, the German protest just reminded me of uh, Joachim Lowe I have to say uh, <laughs> putting their fingers under their nose but uh, yeah that's uh was a, was a different thing, I think. Yes. Um, and just down the road uh, in, um, where was it, Abu Dhabi, Abu I Dhabi, think, yeah. uh, Max Verstappen wrapped up his winning season in style, didn't he? Uh, yes, he won the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix for the third year in a row. Um, this year there was no final lap drama uh, with Lewis Hamilton. In fact, there was no drama at all for Verstappen, who just kind of cruised <laughs> away from pole position. But there were plenty of tussles going on behind him, and that included a fight between his teammates, Sergio Perez, who was trying to uh, finish second in the Drivers' Championship, but in the end he was edged out by uh, Charles Leclerc. Leclerc thereby tied up second place uh, in the race uh, and in the championship. And Perez kind of dropped a few hints afterwards that he could have done with a bit more support from his teammate. Um, but perhaps also he could just driven his own car faster. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. That may be controversial, <laughs> but there we are. Um, yeah. He also kind of suffered, I think, he had like a two-stop strategy, whereas most of the other drivers had one stop, and that turned out to be a bad move. But anyway, Red Bull have insisted there's no bad vibes between the teammates, and Perez will still be their number two driver next season, although, intriguingly, they have also recruited um, Verstappen's old teammate, Daniel Ricciardo, uh, to oh. be number three driver. So they got two seats, uh, but three kind of experienced Grand Prix drivers. Yeah. Um, interesting and intriguing, yeah. yeah. Even though I don't think uh, Red Bull would be wise to send off Sergio Perez and take Ricciardo in instead, uh, given how uh, badly he has been doing this season. Yeah. But um, at least there was a little bit of drama at the final races, right? Uh, otherwise, it would have been uh, very boring, uh, given that Max Verstappen had already won the championship, uh, what was it, uh, half a year ago? Or something. Yeah, basically, so, yeah, he, he, won um, it, he won it last <laughs> season. He won this season's title last season already. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully next season will be a more interesting season on the track, as well as uh, yeah, yeah, in the gossip compound. The water company of North Holland is going to stock the coastal dunes at Kastrikum with wild rabbits to boost the natural environment and restore traditional habitats. Rabbits are important because they keep pests like the American black cherry from proliferating while their fondness for digging holes also provides birds with a place to breed. However, the population has been uh, all but wiped out following uh, Tata Steel op- uh, sorry, <laughs> uh, following uh, <laughs> an outbreak of viruses such as uh, maxomatosis. Uh, rabbits were added to the red list of um, endangered mammals in 2020 and uh, the area where they will be released is poor in nutrition and vegetation but rabbits can deal with that. Their presence will create new habitats for other plants and animals. Uh, that's uh, according to warden uh, Veronique Meurs. Their rabbits are being kept in enclosures in the dunes right now to acclimatize prior to their release and have been checked for diseases and also vaccinated against the most common ones. Vaccines so, uh, for rabbits? Right. That's something formed for democracy you haven't got in onto at all. <laughs> Not yet. I don't think they have a huge presence in Kostrikum, but if they yeah. had they would have opposed <laughs> this very much we haven't seen any uh, uh, upside down fl- Luxembourg flags yeah. around these enclosures <laughs> yet but uh, 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 what time. isn't there might still yeah. come, give it time the vaccines protect the rabbits for a year during which it is hoped they will produce a more resilient population and, do they yeah. have microchipped as well the rabbits <laughs> with, with the vaccine at the same time <laughs> Uh, yeah. Perhaps uh, I also think they have 5G and uh, <laughs> uh, the digital euro as well. Yeah. Um, the idea is to release wild rabbits into areas where there are none. Uh, this comes from France, where 60% of the rabbits uh, have survived in uh, similar projects. So uh, French rabbits are also uh, 90 uh, degrees uh, turned uh, Dutch flags there. Right, of course, yes, 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 they would be, yeah. And good see the French rabbits haven't, uh, haven't all uh, immediately uh, surrendered. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> so so there's, no, there's no wolf news this week, finally. 
Uh, of course there is, because <laughs> we can't have a week right now without wolf news. No. Um, Gelderland province has uh, officially forbidden National Park de Hoge Veluwe to capture or kill the wolves living there. Uh, a court case about uh, paintballing the wolves uh, to scare them off and yeah. prevent them to come too close to visitors of the National Park is still pending. Uh, the regional court in Utrecht is expected to come with its verdict next week, but the National Park is forbidden uh, in the meantime to organize children's uh, birthday parties with wild animals. But are you allowed to uh, bring um, uh, some little cubes of cheese for the wolves and uh, <laughs> you know, as, uh, sit in a circle and cake? And, uh... I think we need a new court case regarding this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> since the wolf was first uh, spotted in the Netherlands, um, a public debate about the presence of the wild animal has been heating up. Reports of wolf sightings in and around residential areas uh, and also reports of killed livestock uh, coming in on an almost daily basis. Uh, we have wolf opposers uh, and they have suffered a major blow this week because a video uh, was released uh, of a wildlife camera showing three super cute wolf pups playing in a forest in Drenthe. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have seen this, uh, Gordon. Probably you did because it involves Drenthe. I know you have a, uh, a push notification uh, uh, on regarding every news coming from Drenthe. Yeah, any news in Drenthe. So my phone goes off at least once every two weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, we will link to uh, this video uh, in the liner notes. Yeah. You can check it out. They are very so, cute, uh, these wolf cubs. They are very yeah. cute. But they do, grow up, they do grow up to molest your sheep, so bear, bear that in mind. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't take them home as pets. It, uh, it won't end well. No. Uh, also, uh, don't take them home if you are a uh, Qatari shaykh uh, and you have uh, <laughs> English fans looking for beer. Um, no, indeed. As yeah. a guest. Yeah, no, no don't, don't stuff them up your jumper either And if, if you're a Dutch football fan because they'll think they're false breasts and they'll kick you out of the stadium. <laughs> and don't let them near your grandmother. No. Perhaps do let them near your grandmother, given that her pension has just gone up by 14.5%. <laughs> that could be a good move. <laughs> That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Paul Peters, I'm Gordon Derrick, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.